0: This is Jean Nathan, it is Crosstown Conversations and um, we as always have some very interesting and informative guests, um, so I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, some of them are fun and some of them have just really important information to share. We've done about, I don't know, close to 3,000 interviews now over the years and I think um, people tend to appreciate the, the information they are getting from us, so here goes for today. We are with Sheriff Guzman, who um, I have known since the mid-90s when we worked together for Mark Morial. Those were the days, and um, he was a terrific guy to work for. Um, and uh, I've been away for a while. You've been doing other things, and and you, you had a kind of rough go with um, having to... Uh, I guess I, I don't know the exact authority that was involved in um overseeing what you were doing at the prison but i'm sure that wasn't any fun that's like having mom late in life or something like that i don't know i'm thinking that that's what it might have been like but i I'm kind of curious of, of what that was all about and um you're now uh have been told um you're on the right track things are cool and uh, go forth uh, Sheriff Guzman and go forth Sheriff's Office in, in New Orleans. So um, tell me about the, the period that you were having to deal with um, some oversight and then uh, coming out of it and how you see the future.
1: Well, you know, Gene, it's been a journey. And, you know, the journey started, um, you know, I got elected about eight months before Katrina. And Katrina really turned... You know, the city upside down, uh, and it turned uh, the sheriff's office all around. You know, we used to be the eighth largest jail in America. Really? New Orleans. Over 1,000 inmates on any given day. And and we had 13 different buildings, and now uh, we have two. And the process of transformation uh, is that journey that I'm talking about. And in, uh, right after that uh, journey uh, was starting, people uh, started saying, well, you know, your, your facilities are substandard. I said, yeah, you know, you're right, they are. You know, uh, we were trying to move out of a bunch of them and it you know, really forced us to go to that were very difficult to be in. So we set about the process of uh, demolition, planning, uh, permitting and the entire process to to get to where we're at today and it hasn't been easy Uh, as you said along the way uh, we started to get oversight Uh, we entered into an agreement uh, with uh, the city of new orleans with the department of justice uh, with some plaintiffs and said hey look we can do better we are going to do better Let's set out, you know, a roadmap for us to get better. And uh, along the way, uh, we just encountered uh, obstacles and uh, funding issues. Uh, really, a funding issue was the main reason why we started uh, with the consent agreement. Because, you know, when we had six thousand inmates, and more than half of the inmates were state inmates. Uh, it was uh, funding
0: Were
1: state paid state. for. It. Uh, we really didn't have, as you know, the financial issues. But when the entire burden fell upon the city of New Orleans to fund, uh, that's when we got pushed back and said, "Oh, you know, we're really not going to fund that." And we we had to enter it into enter, into this agreement. Uh, has that happened in the past before? There in the past there were. Um, consent agreements, you know, over funding. So we did that. And then, you know, a lot of acrimony uh, between uh, the mayor and, and uh, so where we're at today is, is the uh, compliance director will be leaving soon. uh, And uh, we're still in the consent agreement. Uh, We are actually in compliance, either partially or substantially, uh, with nearly all of the provisions. Uh, the goal is is for us to be in substantial compliance with all of the provisions, and to uh, have a two-year period and to move on. Uh, funding has stabilized, and uh, everything else. You know, it's we, we still have challenges ahead of us.
0: Howard, uh, to what extent has the um, COVID situation affected your funding? I mean, it's affecting us in general pretty badly.
1: So uh, is that having a direct impact on you? Well, you know, the COVID situation, and again, going back to what I said about the consent agreement, uh, we needed to have a stable uh, funding source. So uh, to date, we have not seen any interruptions in that funding. Uh, we have incurred some additional expenses and the uh, federal government through the state government uh, has covered some of our additional COVID expenses, whether it was for PPE or for additional services. You know, we uh, screen everyone who's coming into our building. Uh, we've done now so far our third mass testing Uh we do mass testing of all the staff, contractors, inmates. We don't let uh, volunteers or visitors into our facility uh, since March. We don't bring inmates to court uh, since March. Uh, and uh, even with that, you know, I think at the current time, we have nine new positive inmates among our inmates. And they, of course, are isolated. But anyone new who comes in, uh, they're quarantined or medically isolated uh, for 14 days and then tested uh, before we let them uh, go into the rest of the population. Uh, all in all, uh, it's just been for our staff because our staff, we've lost uh, three deputies um, and a fourth one who was who had retired but was going to come back part-time. And that's probably been the hardest thing. We've had a couple of them that have had uh, uh, the illness and are st- are still fighting. Thank God they're uh, they're still alive, but has been easing on them.
0: So how how do how does your situation uh, in in terms of COVID compare with? I have two questions. How, how you have had these issues? Uh, of course, these issues are not um, uh, are not uncommon in jails in other parts of the country. Um, is, it, is it a fair question for you to ask? I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I mean, just where do we rank? I mean, you know, like, are we up there in, in uh, sort of bad boy uh, land or are we um, uh, doing a reasonable job now? Of course, with the agreement, you've been working really hard on it, of course. But when you first came into the situation, uh, how did we rank and how,
1: how are we doing? Well, I think overall, look, there are other jails around the country that have consent agreements or judgments. Uh, uh, so we were probably in the lower, you know, lower tier on that. Uh, our facilities were really uh, challenged. Uh, we had, um, you know, facilities that were built in the early 60s, uh, you know, when people really didn't have the idea that uh, you could do direct supervision, that you could work with um, you know, the inmate population and help them become better. The idea then was just, you know, lock them up <clears throat> and pretty much make sure that lock is really tight. Uh, so uh, we've seen a great transformation. You know, we do direct supervision. There's only one other jail in Louisiana that does direct supervision you know, where the deputy interacts with the uh, inmate population daily, constantly uh, in there in the same uh, living area. Uh, so we're we're really doing well, and as far as COVID goes, uh, look at one extreme. You know, uh, there have been a number of uh, of uh, outbreaks and deaths. You know, thank goodness uh, we're not there, and you uh, know, we uh, we've been getting ready for it. Uh, we want to be as prepared as we can be. You know, I've been working on a temporary uh, COVID-19 shelter, uh, and. Uh, Hopefully, you know, we can do that. Hopefully we won't need it. Uh, But, you know, I have to be prepared uh, in the event that we do need it. We certainly don't know what to
0: expect in the fall. Uh, there's been a lot of conjecture about flu season and and whether that's going to double down on uh, the effects. And and, uh, we still really don't know how um, future surges may come. And there's no clarity at all about whether this is a come and go a uh, kind of thing like flu, or it's going to be, we're going to get
1: over it. I mean, I've, I've never, in my Gene, life, I've never dealt with more uncertainty. Gene, you're right. And, and people don't, I'm not saying people, but you know, the scientists, the doctors don't seem to know, you get it? Will you get it again? Can you get it again? How soon can you get it again? Uh, so, you know, right now we're just being very vigilant. Like I said, we basically to a lockdown as we can but as you know uh, we get arrested every day Uh, our deputies staff contractors have to go home every day and come back so we just try to do as much as we can to uh, caution them to get them to wear protective uh, equipment uh, and to uh, and to monitor their health and the inmates health. so um...
0: I, I uh, this is maybe a little bit off your uh, terrain, but um, certainly there's, a, there's a, uh, some trends, both nationally as well as locally, for seeing some heightened crime, and I'm not one that normally focuses on crime because I focus on education and, 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 and you know, job opportunities and all the things that um, we know contribute to people winding up on the streets trying to achieve some kind of station in life and funding for themselves, um, et cetera, but uh, to what extent has there been in in New Orleans um, an increase? And what are the patterns, if any? Is this something that you you feel qualified to talk about or is that that an NLP question?
1: Well, I can tell you from my standpoint, uh, look, uh, when the COVID came in March, uh, we work with the judges and uh, were able to release a number of people uh, w- who were here on nonviolent offenses. Uh, we had been working in that direction. Uh, we got our population down to right above, right below 700. I can tell you that since then, the population has been creeping back up. Uh, we're now uh, close to 900 and it's... Uh, you know, it's it's violence. It's uh, uh, we do see an increase in violence, and and uh, whether it's domestic violence or just the, you know, the regular street violence, uh, armed robbery shootings. So I, I see it on the rise, and uh, really hope that as a community we can, <clears throat> and really as a nation that we can get a handle on this and say, this is not where we want to be yeah
0: um you mentioned about having um direct supervision which i'm not sure i understand exactly the definition although you know it's clear you said that there's more interaction between your deputies and 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 your inmates um you know of course we all those of us who are um looking things from kind of the humane side we're always saying "Are, are are these guys who are in are they getting any kind of exposure to work training, study, opportunities that can change their path?
1: Well, first of all, when you look at uh, the way inmates are supervised, there are three basic types. Uh, One is what we call uh, podular remote, where somebody's in a pod and they can look down or look out and see everybody with them. Uh, There is Uh, Remote supervision where you have to linear remote where you have to walk down a hallway and look into each cell and then there's direct supervision where the deputy's workstation is inside of the housing unit and they don't have to leave or you know there's no separation between them uh, to see the inmates and the inmates can talk to them converse with them uh, what what we've seen and what the everybody's seen across the country is that this is a better way because you know it's safer deputy can feel more and as far as you know what we do uh, keep in mind this is a jail however uh, we have a school so we have the travis hill school here that's operated in partnership with uh, the orleans parish school board Uh, we have had uh, almost a dozen graduations so far and when I say graduations I'm not talking about a GED, I'm talking about a graduation with a high school diploma from a school called the Travis Hill School that's recognized by the Louisiana Department of Education. Uh, We have group sessions that we operate here, Uh, we have Social workers, counselors on staff. Uh, we have uh, we have a uh, GED program that we're working with for the older adults, uh, combined with literacy to help them. Uh, and you know, there's some parts of the population here that are difficult to work with, uh, either because they are um, violent or they you know they just don't want to work with us. Uh, We have arts and crafts here. We've had UNO has worked with us to uh, publish a book of women poetry. Uh, We've had art uh, produced by uh, uh, some of our uh, uh, inmates here. So the whole idea is to keep people as busy as they can. But when you talk about uh, learning a, a skill, work skill, that's a little uh, because you're not in prison. I, I lost what you said, you, you were garbling for a minute there. That's I a different it's a, story. it's a little more challenging to teach yeah. skills, work skills, because you're not in prison. However, uh, we do have a transitional work program uh, where we have we employ people who are nearing the end of their sentence and we keep employing them, if they're good workers, afterwards. So I have... Probably eight to 12 people that work here uh, who are formerly incarcerated, uh, who work as plumbers, electricians, uh, general handymen uh, to help keep this place going on. So, job skills are important. But, you know, one of the biggest job skills picking up, being on time to come to work. You get that, then you can start training people on how to how to do what you want them to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell me, um, what are the what are the, what are the opportunities going forward in the future where you might be able to achieve um, greater ability to either train or teach or uh, and, and develop the opportunities for in- inmates? Because, I mean. It, it, Tell me I'm wrong, I'm sure there's a percentage of the population that are just plain old bad guys, but a lot of people fall into crime out of very complicated situations and given up um, alternatives can, can move beyond where they were. How, 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 what's going on in terms of either national programming, federal programming, um, initiatives locally based that uh, can improve the percentage of people that you can uh, work with that way?
1: Well, first of all, we talk about people coming back into society after they've been in jail. Everybody makes mistakes. And when someone comes in, uh, whether it's it's jail most of the time, Reentries should start that very day. That very day, they should be thinking about how they're going to go back into society. Uh, we had a very strong reentry program here. Uh, we uh, now have that program relocated to Plaquemines Parish. We work closely with Plaquemines Parish the Sheriff's Office. Uh, but we have we also have a day reporting center here, a day reporting center uh, which is designed at keeping people out of jail, people that are on probation or parole that are about to reoffend and go back in. Uh, we work with them on anger management, on thinking for change, on uh, not being addicted to the law and we get them Uh, job skills, job opportunities, uh, and our DRC program, Day Reporting Center program, is ranked as one of the best in the nation.
0: What is that? Say the name of that again.
1: Day Reporting Center. Mm -hmm. So, what I I said before about how it's important to have that habit, uh, so waking up and coming to work, what they do is they wake up, we give them bus tokens if they don't have uh, transportation, and they report here uh, next to the Orleans Justice Center, not on the jail property. And you know, from that on that day, Monday through Friday, and then we get them to do these uh, skills training. Uh, they also participate, have to do a volunteer uh, work program, uh, and then we graduate them. And, you know, by the time we graduate them, they're in a better position to hold a job uh, and to get a job and to keep a job. So I already mentioned to you our transition work program, which I think is one of the best. You know, if you're still incarcerated and you can have a job and you can come to work uh, and when you leave being incarcerated, uh, you can uh, keep that job one of the things that we have to work on in the state though when we talk about what can we do is halfway houses so at the federal level there are halfway houses yeah. one of the requirements of being in a federal halfway house is that you have to have a job uh, so if we, had more, if we had state halfway houses which would be another step down before you're actually released then and you had a job You'd be that less likely to reoffend and go back. So we're working with the state legislature to try to get that passed. You know, it's it's important to have that up in the next session. Uh, I'm hoping in the next session in in the spring. But it's important to have that tool. Uh, And you know, it's it's a tough one because people don't like to see people that are supposed to be incarcerated out, uh, but Most of them are going to come back. So the idea is that you want them to come back better than they went in. So if you can help them along the way and give them the descending degrees of supervision, you know, you start off being very supervised and less supervised, sort of like it is with children. And then you get to the point where you say, okay, now look, I've been working with you. I'm going to let you go. Don't come back. As opposed to just like pushing them out and saying, good luck, I hope I don't see you. Yeah. So um,
0: I have two questions. So uh, you, you kind of just said, uh, I was going to ask you, what what don't you have that you need and want? And so halfway houses is one thing. Is there anything else that, that is really something that's on your high on your wish list that would make a big difference in how you can do your job? And then I have to say, I get the impression from what you're saying that in a way someone who's been in your jail and has dealt with these programs might actually turn out to be a better employment uh and better employee than some who have never gone through that and so I think the resistance of people to hire people who've been in- incarcerated they'd be pr- pretty wrong-headed
1: oh, it's it's very wrong-headed you know the uh I can tell you Honestly, that I've had a few that haven't worked out. I've had a few employees that I hired that were formerly incarcerated, just didn't work out. But I can also honestly tell you that I have some that are model and incredible employees. That when we need help, they're there. When you know we have a toilet that's stopped up, they're gonna keep working at it till it's unstopped. So Look, I know it's a risk, and if it, look, it's like with any employee. Not every employee is going to work out. You know? yeah. even those that don't get caught. You know, I mean, I've, I've had situations where, in real life, where someone did something illegal, and I asked, and you know, I said, "Well, are you going to turn them in?" And he said, "Oh, no, no, I'm not going to turn them in. That means I got to go to court and do deal with all of that. I'm just firing them. So." Like I said, some some get caught and but that's not to say that those that are working are without any any uh guilt or shame, you know. So it's a risk that employers have to take if we're gonna be a stronger community.
0: How has being sheriff in the city of New Orleans changed
1: who you are, Marlon Lisbon? I'll tell you, uh I think a whole lot more about the less fortunate and about how we can help and how we can be a safer community. And I know that it takes all of us. It takes a lawyer who has to take that chance. It takes the neighbor uh, who has to say, yes, I know you, you, know, you messed up, but I'm going to welcome you back in. The pastor, the minister, uh, it takes a whole community to... Uh, Uh, to really help someone that's made a mistake and gotten caught. Most of the people that go to jail and prison, they come back out. And we owe it to ourselves to help them, you know, help them become a better person. Because when they come back out, we sure sure want them to be better.
0: You know, I have one last question that I, I should have asked earlier. Uh, And it did just occur to me to ask, I mean, it's kind of irrelevant in a way in New Orleans, but is racism a factor in your jail that
1: you have to deal with and address? Well, I think that when you talk about the fact that our population is just about 90% African American, uh, racism uh, has to come and be a part of it. You know, remember I said, a lot of people make mistakes, some get caught, and I think unfortunately more African Americans get caught uh, than, uh, uh, than Caucasians. you know it's just it's sad to say that, but uh, I think that's a consequence also of uh, what happens when we get down to the penalty phase, you know that uh, we have to be mindful that uh, everybody you know, makes mistakes and everybody deserves a second chance, sometimes a third chance. And this whole idea of throwing a book at them uh, something that we really ought to think about. The best reentry program in the state of Louisiana uh, is one that the judges, the prosecutors, the defendant and the defendant's attorney get involved with on the day they first go to court and they say, Hey, look, I'm going to sentence you, but I'm going to suspend most of that sentence if you learn a trade. And they actually go to Angola and in prison. You know, whether it's uh, auto repair or uh, air conditioning uh, repair and installation, they learn a trade. And what the judge has is, He's got, if he gives him a 12-year sentence, he says, two years, you learn it. I'm going to hold those other 10 over your head. And they come out. Unfortunately, it's a small program. But when they come out, the results have been really good because they have a job, they have a trade, and they don't want to go back to 10 years, 10 more years of that. So it works out for everybody.
0: So I didn't hear... Any creative
1: trades? And I didn't hear tech. How about those two? Well, I think I I mentioned to you that we have had uh, some women poetry done. We've had art done. Uh, Certainly some, you know, I have some art hanging in my office that they did for me. Certainly very creative. And And I get it. Exactly what you're saying is that not everybody can be a plumber. Not everybody can be a welder or electrician and some people are more creative. Now we've done some tech programs at the day reporting center. uh, But this is probably a, a future area, you know, where someone can use their creativity. You know, we, we've done some, uh, rap songs here, uh, some music here with the inmates. And, you know, so, you know, yeah, that, that's the future. That's what we ought to be looking at is how, how we can be, more flexible in how we train and help people become better.
0: Um, thank you so much for your time. I want you to keep us in mind um, when things develop and, and uh, you, you want to talk to the folks out there, please give us a call.
1: Thank you, Gene. I sure will. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sheriff. Thanks. Bye.
0: I am uh, here at this moment with a very interesting gentleman. His name is Johnny Liss, is that the right pronunciation?
2: It is, Johnny Liss, you got it.
0: I'm not going to try to say who you are and what you do because um, you've had a very interesting career. And uh, I know what it's like when you've done a lot of things and people ask you, what do you do? And you kind of go, well, so I'm going to say, Tell me a little bit about um, who you are as a little, little bit of introduction. And we're going to talk about Jam Nola, which is an amazing experiential thing you've put together at the most bizarre time, and yet it's working. So that is a very important story.
2: Yeah, um, well, well, thanks. So first, um, so I, you already heard I'm Johnny Liss. I've um, pretty much... Um, done a lot of different things i would probably consider myself and i'm a bringer of joy first and foremost and happiness and i was put on this earth to um make people happy and to um bring people together i'm what you would always call a uh i'm a i'm one of those connectors or nexus points in friends and relationships and business um and it's always just come naturally to me um i um I'm a a marketer um, for many, many, many years of my career, uh, a salesperson and a big event person. I would probably consider myself one of the best event organizers I've ever met, um, if someone asked me. Oh, whoa.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to do that in a Trumpian it. context. I'm going to take that in the context of you really do great events.
2: I do. If, if you've ever, yeah, I do, I do wonderful events, really. Um, and it's all about bringing people together and the experience. I'm a really experiential person. Um, and um, I, I think... Um, my, my story will probably go back to maybe that's relevant to Jamnola. It really goes back to maybe almost 15 years ago. Well, gosh, 9-11. So, um, you know, yeah. I, I really wanted to start something called laughing class. There was a time period when people really were unhappy and depressed and didn't really know what the future would hold. And I talked about doing something called laughing class, which was more of a self-help seminar to try and bring um, people together. And it had a expo area where you would do some selfies and photo opportunities and I never really got it that far off the ground. I stayed more in, um, you know, what my comfort zone and, uh, you know, time went on. And then probably about uh, three years ago, um, I went to the Museum of Ice Cream, which was um, in San Francisco. It was created as this, it, it was brilliant. And it was a total fun, but, you know, very superficial um, experience where you were given Um, different samples of ice cream and went through all these fun rooms that had everything from unicorns to a sprinkle pool and you know people just taking all these photos and I boy was I happy when I left I said my god that was just incredible Um, it was a great experience and then I went back um, home and a few things happened I actually grabbed these magazines because first um, New York New York magazine had this cover here if you look with the uh, smiley face on it right here and the cover was Get Happier. It was all about these popular courses at universities about lifestyle and happiness and so on. Then Time Magazine um, came out with this right here, which is the, uh, let's see if you can see it, The Science of, uh, oh, I got a background here, but it says The Science of Laughter. And then um, The Science of Happiness came out right here, another Time Magazine piece, and I started saying, my God, everything I thought about all these years ago with happiness is starting to come to the forefront because of just the world today. And, um, my, or
0: forget, I'm going to ask you to, yeah. um, if you don't mind send me uh, the references on those. So
2: of course, oh yeah, yeah. I will. I will. Yeah. So, um, I thought to myself, you know what, I'm, my, my, you know, my city, my, my, my end game, my place where I've always been the happiest in life is in New Orleans. Um, it's where I, you know, where I, uh, you know, started back in 1992, and I said, um, could I do something like this experiential piece? But is can I make it all about bringing people happiness and joy through music and art and culture? And so that's my, I, I, you know, when I get something stuck in my head, I went on a mission with my partner Chad, and we said, how are we going to do this? And you know, I'm a transplant in New Orleans. Um, I'm not a native New Orleanian, so in order to do that. I had to really go and find partners, true, true creative partners that were rooted in culture in the city. And that's when I found um, Colin Ferguson and Kat Todd, who um, are the founders of Where You Art, you know, that represent over 100 artists in this virtual um, world. And they're just uh, incredible collaborators. And I flew them to New York City with me. We took them on a whirlwind tour of uh, a few different museums and experiential concepts. And then we flew back down to New Orleans. And I said, so can we do that here? And that's the where the story, really, you know, went full speed.
0: Wow. Okay. So and that was
2: exactly a year ago, August a year ago.
0: Only a year ago, um, and and so when did you actually? So first of all, what is Jamnola? Oh, sorry. <laughs> and what did you? And when did you open it?
2: So um, I, I hate to say Jamnola is an experiential museum. I, I want to call Jamnola a cultural funhouse, is what. Um, uh, or an art maze. Um, and. Uh, it's um it's it's basically um it's uh 12 exhibits um created with the collaboration of um twenty plus artists. We actually have twenty artists and nine collaborators. We started with eight and ended up with twenty and nine collaborators. Um it's uh it's a uh, topsy turvy upside down stroll through some of the city's cultural gems. Um our idea is that you can't see everything at Jamnola that New Orleans has to offer, but we want you to go find it for yourself um, after you leave. So the idea is we'll give you a taste of the city in a little bit of a upside down way, and then you go find everything else for yourself. So that's um, the concept we went in with. Um, we uh, had uh, different exhibits. We you know, then took each, we took the idea of the exhibit to several artists. They came back and pitched us their vision of what we wanted to do. And every one of the artists we selected went above and beyond um, what we um, proposed to them originally. Wow,
0: that's great. So give me um, maybe one or two examples of uh, a particular, uh, let's say, room, I guess. Uh, uh, And I know that you're in a big warehouse, so it's not really rooms, is it? It's Um, more spaces? Yeah, we, we actually I had,
2: we're, we're on the we, we are um, on a building in the Noka Institute. Um, we actually I had to actually present to them my concept, and they felt it was you know their mission is about you know culture and art and um, you know um, education, and we had very similar missions. So um we uh so I I rent from them. Um, the building was um, used to be Habitat for Humanity. It's about five thousand five hundred square feet. And we created a maze, like a labyrinth, basically. We changed the walls and we created 12 exhibits. Um, And every exhibit is very different. I can give you um, one. um, I'll give you an example of one. It's called What's Your Jam? Actually, the mural behind me is one of the murals by an artist named Co, Courtney Buckley, that's behind me. What's Your Jam Um, is all about um, figuring out whether uh, art, uh, food, culture, or music, um, what brings you joy. And uh, for me, it's all of them, probably um, I'm a foodie also. um, But um, so that room has four pieces in it. There's a a floor mural by an artist named Josh Haley that is a cluster map, a digital map of all things good about New Orleans, um, um, from everything from um, oysters to uh, architecture. Um, It's a serpentine of the Mississippi River. It starts with a heart and then turns into the river and the river is like in a gold um, color um, and pattern. Then there's a piece by Courtney Buckley Co., who's a very well-known artist who's behind me. Um, that's called Come Outside. It's the feeling you get when a second line comes down the street and the kids run outside and the you know grandparents go stand on the front stoop. So we actually have um, a front stoop built out, a 3D front stoop you can sit on in front of it. Um, then if you turn the corner, you're still in the same room. There is a, uh, a piece by a Royal float artist named um, Uh, Noah Church. um, It's called uh, You Hold the Key. It's got hundreds of characters painted in it of different Mardi Gras crews from Zulu, to Rex, to Barkus, to (laughs) Chewbacca, And they're all together on the walls and you would never see all the crews marching together but at Jamnola we got them all like in a crowd together and um, there's immersive photos so if I stand um, in a location and I hold a curtain that's on the painting it turns three dimensional in the photo that you take, and then we've got a wonderful. Um, the fourth photo in there is by an artist named uh, uh, Jeremy Payton, and it's called "The Wacky World of Food." It's got a three-dimensional giant po'boy and a and a, and a, a group of um, painted um, um, gentlemen who are all very stuffed and very well dressed, as in dressed and you know overstuffed po'boys. So, uh, and then there's actually a cultural activation in the room because we wanted to do something very, so we have the old school artistic view, and then we have something we call the digital concierge. So there's a, you can take your phone, we had to change it for COVID, so you don't have to touch anything, but you take your phone, you scan it against a little like iPad device, and it'll give you an email where you um, can um, get the uh, the history of po'boys and um, the top 11 po'boys by Dr. Nicole Karadad Ralston, who is a Food critic who has her own um, Instagram blog called um, Eaten Path Nola. So that is all. What? Eating path. Eat, it's called Eaten, like beaten path. It's Eaten Path Nola. Oh, okay. So, um, so yeah, a, a lot of the rooms have these cultural concierge activations, and you actually, when you when you arrive at Jam Nola, you take your phone, you do a scan, and you get a microsite created that would say, "Dear Gene." Um, here's your microsite, and you would click on different activations. There's essays, there's um, cultural information. It'll collect some of your photos, um, I guess So, uh, you know, do,
0: you, do they, uh, are they able to go uh, back to those after they've left the yes.
2: space? Yeah, they never leave. So, you'll have an email, it'll say welcome to your Jamnola microsite, and you can click and read any of the um, articles, activations, photos, um, anytime.
0: Interesting. So that that's one room.
2: Yeah. That's just one room.
0: <laughs> wow! And how many rooms are there?
2: There are there's twelve. I would call it, there's twelve different rooms. Some are a little more passageways. We have a, a, a like we have a um a, a walk through a transition area called um and the bead goes on. It's filled with twenty two thousand recycled beads that were all taken from arc Greater New Orleans and put into patterns by my partner Chad um, Smith and laid on an epoxy floor, um, you know, with custom flavor paper, wallpaper by John Sherman. So you sort of walk through that. Um, there's, um, you know, a room called the Bling Bayou, which is basically the bayou all blinged out and turned upside down with the, uh, and by the way, all the music that's playing has been selected by George Porter Jr. of the Funky Meters. He's our oh. music curator.
0: Oh, so, now you've, now you've hit my vein.
2: So, you know, George, in, in the Bling Bayou, he picked Rusty Kershaw, who I'd never heard of, who did, you know, an old I'm song, old school, yes. Yeah, so, so that's who's playing in the Bling Bayou. You know, you have second line music playing in the uh, What's Your Jam Room. Um, we've got this beautiful room called Spirit Trees, um, which is really about, um, it's by the, it's by the, um, the artists are, called, are named um, the Milagros Collective and their room is about a modern interpretation of spirit bottle trees and um, And this the this giant tree we have has recycled wood from the Mississippi and um, The bottles that are on the trees are filled with good intentions and te- you know And our artists really wanted to have a cultural historian actually write about the history of the spirit bottle trees and their journey from West Africa through the south um, because we, we, you know, we wanted to make sure you got the cultural information and not just, you know, the fun photos. So um, we have a great historian named Terry Simon, who wrote a piece about spirit bottle trees.
0: Hmm. So, um, gosh, that's a lot. Let me ask you two questions. <laughs> um, when did you, okay, I, I don't think you told me when you actually opened.
2: Oh, sorry. So, um, we, so uh, we, we opened on, uh, we, we opened August 1st. We did previews before um we this opened, August this all we opened uh, 17 days ago
0: so you just opened wow
2: we just opened. we were originally supposed to open um in April but COVID-19 happened
0: right but um but from uh, my associate that works with me that works with you Lily uh told me that um you're getting a bunch of people
2: we are um we got god, thank god we we've been um so uh, you know you never know what's gonna happen um we um, are are pretty much sold out right now. Uh, we can't, you know, we we you know we're very limited in the number of people we're letting in sure. because of COVID nineteen. We just changed everything, so, um, yeah. you know, we're only allowing six people for a uh, private tour every, you know, we're doing different, we're testing different time slots of twenty minutes, every fifteen minutes, every ten minutes, but we're only allowing six people for a private tour or semi-private tour. So it limits the number of people that can come in, but, um, yeah, we're getting an amazing response from just everyone. Yeah.
0: How are you promoting it? How's your, your how, what's your marketing, uh, strategy?
2: So the first, um, so we have a few strategies. We have a, what I would call, I guess, an influencer strategy where we, you know, we, we gave invitations to a lot of different people to come down, um, to see for about two weeks before, um, you know, influencers on social media. We wanted to have, um, we wanted to make sure we were accepted by the cultural community, the artistic community, the, um, um, we wanted to make sure that um, we had the right diversity with all of our artists. Um, So we really just, um, you know, send out a lot of invitations um, and, and, you know, um, and also wanted to, you know, be as open as possible in PR. Um, We um, also, we really are just, um, we're doing digital advertising. So we're we're using, um, Uh, an agency that amplifies our voice. So what you're really hearing or seeing is just positive reviews, um, positive reviews on social media. Um, You know, incredible organic things are happening, like we have artists stumbling onto the place. We have, um, you know, um, influencers on social media that are just coming over and coming in and then writing about us. Uh, Like just things, you know, just great connections. you know, you know, natural connections to musicians, um, you know, we had, um, Tank from Tank and the Bangas came down, <coughs> and she was just so in love with it, she said, can I broadcast my DJ, um, session from here on Friday night, which, I'm, we were, you know, sure, <laughs> next thing you know, Tank's broadcasting and posting about us, and just, you know, uh, in the Bling value. I mean, just all these wonderful, organic, natural things are happening, um, and, uh, you know, we're also, um, you know, when um, COVID happened, we didn't have, we couldn't open, but we had this website we had launched. So we said, let's just raise money for a charity. So we started supporting Feed the Second Line to support, you know, 150 plus culture bearers um, with groceries. And so we, we, next thing you know, we just have, um, we started a celebrity campaign and reached out to celebrities with a connection to New Orleans and asked them to wear a t-shirt and promote Feed the Second Line because all our profits were going you know, to to um, the charity, and and suddenly we have all, we had all these celebrities <laughs> wearing our shirts, posting about us. Angela Bassett was amazing. I would, I was, you know, just been blown away. It's just you know, you know, when you have all these things happen at the same time for different. It reasons.
0: Happened, I mean, just uh, it, it's such a total disconnect uh, with the COVID reality that a lot of other people have had to yeah. deal with, and, and and having their businesses shut down and yeah. having. Them, uh, so minimal that they can't make uh, any money. Well, I don't imagine you're making a ton of money yet because uh, you're so limited to <laughs> the crowd. Are no, you a yeah. for profit or a not for profit? No, we're we're a profit
2: org- We're we're a for profit organization. Um, okay. Actually, with just me um, and my partner, um, we mm-hmm. um, did not get any funding um, at all from the government because of um, you know PPP and all the different um, possible organizations. We um, because all my The only artists I had when COVID nineteen happened, or the only um, salaries I was playing, I was paying just for the artists at that stage, Mm -hmm. Um, and they were all on you know ten ninety nine, so none of them were on payroll.
0: Yeah, I had the same problem with my organization. Um, You know, we'll have to talk offline. Yeah, yeah, sure. As I'm sure Lily told you that we actually have an art, uh, a um, we're an arts organization, arts entrepreneurial organization, uh, advocacy nonprofit. Uh, but we have a tour program called Art Home New Orleans, and we, it's the opposite of what you do. We take people to studios and homes of people with art collections. Our purpose okay. was to promote the sale of art. We'll talk more about
2: yeah. it. Yeah, no, I was uh, looking forward to it. But we, yeah, we, um, we so so we basically, um, were, um, we we didn't really get any funding or anything. And my goal when COVID happened was just. Um, Let's sit tight and only pay the. I, I just had to make sure we could pay the artists because that was the most important thing. I'm so about supporting the cultural economy and um, I, you know the, what I. And, and interestingly enough, we went from eight to 20 artists while COVID was happening, and I just got more and more excited about. It. I'm like, sure, let's do that. Bring them on. <laughs> so we had the artists coming in one by one, painting. We made sure no one else was in the building, but they you know wanted to keep working. So um, it was a very interesting progression.
0: So, um, uh, the location, tell me about your location. I mean, it, it's an interesting location. It's kind of both um, offline in a way, but also you're right across the street from B Mike. You're right by NOCA, as you said. You're in the Bywater, which has become um, uh, something of a cultural mecca. When I uh, yeah. do some surveying of people, I kind of stayed away from it because there's so many artists there and I wanted to have a more um, typical neighborhood in the city so it's uh it's a, it but but people have to find you they do yeah um you.
2: yeah d- I, um it's well it's very uh, well obviously noca's closed right now but um you know we're we're in an, an incredible location of culture and um i mean i stand outside of those four corners and see those magnificent murals that you know the mike has um you know created and painted and you see Noka on the other side um and you see the you know listen we're in the old train station you know where um you know, Plessy versus Ferguson happened. I mean, um, it's, 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 for me, it's an incredible, um, cultural area. Um, you know, we wanted to be within walking distance to the French quarter where that was really important. Uh, we looked at, you know, it wasn't easy finding a location in new Orleans to to do it. Um, and this, and, and this, this, you know, again, it all came together. The site happened to be available. Um, I went and met with, um, you know, the NOCA Institute folks, I showed them my concept of what we wanted to do. It connected with art and music and joy. It just made sense. Um, they, uh, you know, I had to go present to the Marini Neighborhood Improvement Association. I went to their board meeting. Um, they were thrilled with everything. They just said what a great gift this would be to put in the neighborhood. Um, you know, I, th- I, I, I I, was worried that would, there would be congestion. It's really um, it couldn't be better everyone just says you ready. have
0: um you have Wall street parking there don't you
2: no no it's all it's on it's on street but there's plenty of parking around the, A lot of parking the, you're right yeah. on the railroad tracks over there it's pretty easy yeah. so i mean i mean it, it's it's you know i and i live in bywater so you know i'm back and forth from home but it's it's it, the art in the area and the artists um it, it's 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 it, 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 now that when i think about it, it's the only place we could have been <laughs> yeah.
0: um yeah you clearly believe in uh, the magic of as you said sure. a very organic process yeah. in life i'm an optimist that. Yeah, it's probably pretty different from how you started out And uh, uh, i i have the impression that you worked in the corporate world for a no, while absolutely
2: but, yeah yeah, yeah totally. So this is a yeah.
0: great relief from that i'm sure um yeah. uh future let's talk about the future a little bit so where do you go from here
2: um well so, well
0: I'll both sort of uh talk to me about um you know so uh, past present, COVID. Yeah. and and i don't want to say past covid but just going forward because we yeah, don't know yeah sure going to be.
2: Yeah. well obviously everything changed with covid19 so obviously in march we um so i'll talk about pre-covid we were going full speed ahead to launch the day before the french quarter festival we were going to be a sponsor um we uh in march covid happened i never imagined it would be what it is now i started thinking in march though that you know we were experiential I mean, we have a room called the Feather Forest, and you were going through a feather car wash with your body as you were, you know. <laughs> now I I had to go back to the artist in March. I said, listen, we have to reimagine everything without any, you know, with, to be as touchless as possible. I mean, there's um. So we have now the Feather Forest is around you and doesn't touch you. Instead of it being as a car wash, we had a piece by artist Marcus Brown, who's a professor at NOCA that was a a, a sound wall that you would touch, and now it's proximity. I just put my hand near it, and it um does it so everything was really reimagined um so that was the first part the second part was um we were going to have 15 to 20 people on tours i mean it was going to be like you were having second lines marching through there and bam you know just incredible um it was going to feel like you're almost like a festival with so many people inside we had to change everything i said what if we just do private groups um we already had a time ticketing concept with a company called show clicks so that's a requirement and we already had that set um we had that change. Um, we ha- I have a. I have a cleaning in between every tour. We are disinfecting. Um, I mean, we've added. A, you know, I, I. I. I just. You know, it was a little bit reactive. I said, let's just figure out what we need to do to get open. I. we by the way, we're in. Um. We're in phase one guidelines. I didn't want us to move to phase two, so we don't have 50% of the people. We have less than tw- 25%. Even. Um. We are just. We have 24 people in a. A building that should have 150 or 300, 300 people actually. So we're really, um, I'm I'm just careful about everything um, from the number of people to, uh, you know, um, wearing masks. Uh, By the way, our bestseller is a mask, obviously artist masks. So, um, so that was, that's probably pretty.
0: Now, you mentioned um, best sellers, but we didn't talk about your shop yet. So be sure. Let's catch that up in a minute. Yeah. sure, sure.
2: So, now for COVID right now we opened and um we're operating a phase one guidelines. Um we're limited to uh six people um in each private tour. We have storytellers, um, everybody has masks, um we have social distancing, fun social distancing signs. You know, they say six feet apart, y'all. Um we compare six feet to the size of two tromb- trombones or three umbrellas. Um we uh Um, we're really very careful about cleaning, disinfecting, time ticketing, cashless operation. um, And we changed everything to be as touchless as possible. Um, There's, you know, obviously people sit down on things, um, touch things, but we're just careful to make sure we clean. So that's sort of where we are right now. So our biggest issue is not an issue, but it only, it limits the number of people that can come, which, you know, for us is, you know, it's just a sacrifice we had to make to open. Right. So, you know, once we get through COVID nineteen and restrictions are lifted, I see you know, we, we you know, we wanna do um we see um something called Jam Nola at night. We see an evening, um, probably we'll start with live streaming, um, to begin with, but we see definitely that. We see private events, you know, we had we had so many wonderful things planned around NOCA. They have, you know, private facilities, uh you can do block parties. I mean, we really saw live entertainment outside, um, at different times, you know. Um I mean, we really see ourselves as being You know, by the way, we're we're already starting to work on a pop-up for Halloween. You're the first person I'm mentioning it to, but I think we're going to do it, um, where we would do some type of performance art again with all the restrictions, but um, bring some other artists in that are costuming. Um, we see we, we're we're thinking down the line um, what we'll we be able to do around Mardi Gras, you know, with COVID or without COVID. Um, you know, so I think. Um, we really see you becoming, we, we see us becoming more of a creative center. And, um, and, you know, most importantly, we're a pop-up in a permanent location. So um, we will change the exhibits out. Um, I don't know if it's yearly or, you know, which exhibits will change, but um, we definitely see us um, evolving. Um,
0: it'll change. It'll, it, uh, absolutely, it'll yeah, change. of course, it's
2: artistic, it's culture. Always has to change, right?
0: Exactly. All right, so um, shop the shop.
2: Yes, yes. So we have um, obviously every every tour ends at the gift shop, I guess, right? So we have a gift shop that you go through. Um, we really wanted the artists to all contribute because we didn't want to just pay them for their you know installations, but also ongoing. So we've offered all the artists a space in the gift shop if they want to sell anything. Um, we've created a like I said, we have shirts that go to feed the second line for charity. Um, we even, um, you know, one of our um, collaborators are, uh, uh, is um, Cherise Harrison Nelson, you know, Queen Reese. She's written an essay called Pretty and So Much More for this beautiful room we have called All on a Mardi Gras Day. Um, so we are selling some um, gift items from, for Guardians of the Flame um, that would go, go to back to them. So um, uh, we also uh, are selling all of our shirts, you know, that say Joy Art and Music or Jam Nola. We have a great one that goes to charity that some um, says it's about new Orleans, uh, which is, um, goes to feed the second line. And then we have, um, I mean, we have, um, baby doll umbrellas and we have, uh, we have, um, um, you know, we've, shoe, sh- we've uh, shoes from muses and artwork, um, you know, from uh, photographer, Erica Goldring, we have, um, my goodness, we're just selling it. It's, it's, it's just a, it's a, you know what? It's a fun, It's a gift shop with things that make you smile. You know, when you walk through a gift shop and you're like, yeah, nothing for me. You want to buy something when you walk through here. There's just so many cool items. Um, And our masks, we have masks. um, The uh, mahogany blue baby dolls have been making masks for us that are beautiful. They're like little uh, garters and panty masks. (laughs) If you can picture that. And then we have a mask. It's hard to picture, but picture the little like lace, you know, uh, with um, the
0: fringe hanging
2: down. And uh, we also have a mask by our artist, Julianne Landyap from the Feather Forest that's a, it's sequins with a zipper um, and a little like lipstick almost, it looks like.
0: It's been a pleasure. Wonderful it's wonderful to meet uh, you, come down and see it's us it's everybody, well, everybody. I definitely, uh, I'm gonna have to get over there because yeah, actually I'm, I was surprised at the extent to which you have worked in The Authentic. And I think that's, it's, it's hard to do something that is um, so um, joyful and kind of wacky, um, but also uh, with roots in, in the authentic culture of the city. That, that's, a, that's, that's not the easiest thing to accomplish. Sure I'm very you. impressed with that, and I congratulate you on that. Thank you so much. John and thank you so much for what you're doing, bringing happiness um, and an appreciation for our art to and from the city of New Orleans. You take care. Bye-bye. So that's it for today, I hope you enjoyed it. Some good information, maybe a little fun. And um, I wanted to let you know that we have a newsletter that goes out just in advance of the show. You can sign up for it simply by going to crosstownconvos at gmail.com and um, it's got a lot more stuff in it, a lot more articles and images and uh, information on the guests who are on. So um, think about it. Sign up if you'd like. Gene um, Nathan for Cross Town Conversations on WBOK, what people are talking about.